When you no longer believe that you're going to see the goodness of God while you're in the land of the living, then your heart is sick. You think this is it for me. It ain't never going to get better than this. David says certain things I've learned in my life is that I have gone through all kinds of obstacles. God is my light. He is my salvation. He's the one that enables me to overcome issues of life. And I still believe. I would have caved. I would have given up. I would have passed out like everybody else. But I still held on to my faith that I would see the goodness of the Lord. Not after in the by and by, but in the land of the living. Maybe that's why he says the steps of a good man are ordered of the Lord. Because God said, I'm going to anoint you to be the king, but you're still going to have to go to the process before you move into your reign. And what God will often do in our lives, he'll anoint you for where he's sending you. But he says, that don't mean that you get to overstep the ordered steps that I have to develop you. So that when the crown comes, you can stand for 40 years and not 40 minutes. Peter chapter 1 and verse 5 says, and besides this, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, and to virtue knowledge. Now, we have been talking about knowledge. Add to your faith virtue and to virtue knowledge. Out of this formula for Christian success, if you will. And in the midst of talking about that, we basically made this major journey into this area of talking about the favor of God, because that's the assignment. Just like when we begin talking about virtue, one of the assignments that we were given is to talk about giving, because to be a virtuous person, that means you're a giving person. And now we are talking about this area of adding to your faith knowledge. Another translation literally says, add to virtue, rather, spiritual knowledge. The more knowledge you have, the more you are able to release faith for a particular area in your life. And so the assignment right now is to minister on the favor of God. And one of the things that we've said about the favor of God, it can be obvious and apparent, and it also can be subtle and vague. Subtle and vague is where you need your faith. <laughs> Not in the obvious and the apparent. Subtle and the vague, where it doesn't feel like you have favor at all resting on your life. It doesn't feel like God is with you. I've said before, I say again, the Bible says about Joseph, he was favored of God, but Joseph was sitting in jail when he makes that determination. Joseph might not have felt like he was favored, but God says he was. Favor is believing what God says, just like any area of our faith. And so we talked about last week distinctly this area of the nature of favor. Or we talked about this area, these areas, these five areas that we kind of put forth that you may not perceive the favor even while others around you can. You may not perceive the fact that you walk in favor but other people around you can. I saw that in operation this past week. Some portions of this public meetings and things that I was having, I didn't feel favor. But as I look back at certain things happening, how certain people just, they just, they like me and how certain folks just, yeah, this worked. And, and, you know, one of the comments that one of my co-workers made concerning our boss, he's like, you know, he just seems to like us. Because <laughs> he said to me on Friday, it was like, and why, why, 
why was uh, why was this other person always afraid of him? You know, he just seemed he because I he came up to us during that time and just hey how y'all doing and talking da, 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 and this and that. <laughs> well, listen, we see y'all tomorrow. Da, da, da. Didn't have a problem. But there are certain days in the office it doesn't feel like we have favor at all. But other people can see that it's on on you. There are times that God does not allow you to see that you have favor. I'll give you another case point, an example. If you remember in Genesis, the Bible talks about distinctly this man named Abram. Abram's learning how to walk by faith. He's learning how to develop. He's learning how to take the steps in the journey of faith so that God can put him in position for the thing that he ultimately wants out of his life. Well, in the process of that, he goes to Egypt, the Bible says, and he says to his wife, I want you to act like you're my sister. I want you to act like you're my sister because they're going to look at you and Sarah and they're going to say, I want to take that. I'm going to kill Abram and we're going to kill him because we want her. Two things about that that always struck me is that the Bible defines Abram and Sarah at this point in their life as old. But yet Abram is concerned that if these men see his wife, they're going to want to kill him to take her. How fine was Sarah? <laughs> She's not defined as a young woman. She's defined as an older woman. But yet he was concerned. And it didn't happen just one time, but it was twice in his life. How fine is Sarah? Don't this whole idea of I'm getting older so you got to fall apart and all this. Man, the devil is a lie. You get better and better and better. That you look better in your 50s than you did in your 30s. <laughs> Because every time I look at that story, I'm like, Abram was concerned. He said, we go down to Egypt. I want to act. Tell everybody I'm your brother. <laughs> now, the interesting part of this story, again, is that, so Sarah agrees, and she does that. And just like Abram said, they do take her. But they don't kill him because they think that that's her brother. But the interesting thing that happens in the narrative of Genesis is that the Bible says that God talks to Elimelech in the dream. And he says out of the new international version of the Bible, because this is striking. He said, God says to the Pharaoh, you are as good as dead if you let a hand on her. Elimelech, according to the Bible, quickly wakes up and goes to have a conversation with Abram and says, hey man, listen. Why didn't you tell us that that was your wife? The point of the story that I want to bring out to you is that Abram didn't know that God was defending him. He didn't have a clue. God was dealing with Elimelech in a dream, dealing with him directly. And Abraham is at, at wherever he was, operating the way he was, not knowing that God was defending him. It wasn't apparent to him till later that God's hand was on him. Had the favor God was on me. And I submit to you that there are times in your life where God is dealing with people in dreams. He's dealing with them all around in different areas. You don't know nothing about it. <laughs> You're sitting around thinking, well, Lord, are you doing anything for me? He said, yeah, I'm doing all kinds of stuff for you. You just can't see it. Because if you saw what I was doing, then you'd be lifted up in the area of pride. And so what God says, I want you to appropriate favor by faith and know I'm working when you don't see it. To know I'm moving when it's not apparent to your senses. He says, once again, we've said you may not perceive favor in other areas while others around you can. Favor does not mean the absence of challenges or obstacles. 
just because you walk in favor. Dear God, we are witness today. <laughs> Does not mean that we're not going to have challenges and obstacles. We've said the favor is increased through obedience, through sanctification. The more obedient you are, the more sanctified away from the areas where God is telling you to separate from that, the more God can increase favor on your life. Why? Because you respond to life as he wants you to. You are an obedient servant. God says that particular person, I can flood glory in their life because they're going to display my will and my purpose in that circumstance and not their own. We also said favor essentially is not, it is not, it is not, it is not luck. Favor is not luck. Now you listen to some uh, folks in the kingdom and you get the impression, you know, this one says favor, that one says luck. It's the same thing. Favor ain't luck. The kingdom and the world system, if you will, the world, the way the cosmos, if you will, operates off of seed, time, and harvest. There's only two things that are impacting you in life. It is either A, you are being under satanic attack by the devil. Yes, that is a, that is a determination. But it also can be a harvest that you've received because you decided to operate in your flesh. And you got to discern whether or not what's which is which. It's not that maybe perhaps you're having a string of bad, quote unquote, luck. Maybe you're having a string of receiving the harvests of the seeds that you sowed that God told you I need you to deal with a couple years ago. Maybe, yes, you are under a satanic attack. That is true, too. But we got to start examining. It's never a matter of luck because luck has to do with chance. And nothing in the kingdom of God, nothing in the world operates by chance. Favor is therefore, therefore, as we said last week, not a feeling. It is a result of the blessing. The blessing is granted through sanctification and obedience. Therefore, I say to you again that you are blessed because of your yes. Every time you say, yes, God, I'll do it your way. God says, you're blessed. Somebody said, well, well, what about the grace of God? Yes, yes. You said yes to God. I receive you as my Lord and Savior. So you're blessed because of sonship, because still, because of your yes. It's not a feeling of being blessed. You are blessed because of your yes. What does that have to do with add to virtue knowledge? The more we begin to talk about these areas, the more you begin to know this stuff, and the more you know this stuff, regardless of what you see, it provides an area of joy. And the Bible says that the joy of the Lord is your strength. The more I say, yeah, yeah, I see these obstacles, but I believe that God has favored my life. The obstacles won't start. It won't have the effect that it used to have on you. Now, all of that being said, my assignment this morning is to talk about this. We could essentially call this God is good all the time. God is good. Amen. I woke up this morning and there was a song by a white uh, a singer named Don Moore and he wrote a song called God is good all the time. God is good. And, and as I listened to it on, this way, on my way out here, it just it hit me on, really on Friday. God said to to minister to my people that I am good. We say this so often as a cliche. God is good all the time. All the time God is good. But do we really, really believe that? Because you can have issues in your life that happen 
And you start thinking, well, is it good or not? You for me, ain't you? And one of the things that we need to build up our faith in is the fact that God is good. We need to have faith in the fact that God is good. He doesn't have goodness. He is good. His nature is good. Everything about God is good. Now look over here at Psalms 27. We're going to put all this together. This is a Psalm of David. Let's look at this and uh, I'm going to make some commentary as we go through it a little bit. It says, verse number one, the Lord is my light and my salvation. The word light there literally means he's my uh, luminary. He's my daylight. He's my light of life, if you will. And the word salvation there is translated from a word, a Hebrew word, which means deliverance. He's my safety. He's my welfare. He is my prosperity and victory. So when we look at it, the Lord is my light for life and my deliverance and my safety and my welfare and my prosperity. He is my victory. Then David says, whom shall I be afraid? Now, whom of whom? Oh, he says, whom shall I fear? Now, if you just look at it, we did traditionally said, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? And just don't break down these words. You miss what David is saying. Because God is the light of my life. He is my victor. He is my prosperity. He is my safety. He is my welfare. He is my deliverance. Who shall I be afraid? What bill is greater than that? What issue is greater than the God of my deliverance, the God of my safety, the God of my welfare, prosperity, and the God of my victory? Notice he says, the Lord, therefore, is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? This should be the testimony of every single believer. Why, why are believers afraid? It's because you have not gotten to the place where the Lord is your light for life. And he is your deliverance. Verse number two, he says, when the wicked, even my enemies, my foes, came upon me to eat of my flesh, he says, they stumble and fail. Sounds like somebody convinced of the favor of God. He says, though a host and host should encamp against me, my heart, notice he says, shall not fear. So he's going back to talking about, I won't operate in fear. Why? Because God is the light of my life. He is my deliverance, welfare, my safety, my prosperity, and my victory. So I have no reason to fear. He says, though war shall arise against me in this, he notices the term, he says, I will be comforted. Or I will uh, be confident. One thing have I desired of the Lord that I may seek after that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his symbol. So he says, the one desire that I have is to stay in the presence of God. And in the presence of God, there is light for my life. In the presence of God, there is victory for my life, safety for my life, welfare for my life, prosperity and victory for my life. Verse 5. For in the time of trouble, notice, because my place is in his presence, he says in the time of trouble, he shall hide me in his pavilion. 
in the secret of his tabernacle shall he hide me. He shall set me upon a rock. What rock shall he set me upon? The rock, dare I say, is a rock of truth. That regardless of what I see out there, the, the key for us as believers is to stay in that secret place. The secret place is how God allows us to stay on the rock and the other stuff doesn't affect us and get in by areas of fear. Verse number six, he says, now and now shall my head be lifted up above my enemies around about me. Why? God allows, because I'm centered on his rock, the rock of truth then regardless of what my emotions feel, God has the ability to lift my head above my enemies. Why is she not falling apart? Because I'm standing not on my own ability, but on the rock. He says, therefore will I offer his tabernacle, notice the term sacrifice of joy. Now we said a few minutes ago, the joy of the Lord is your strength. And we've indicated to you that the joy knowledge connection is real. Everything that David talks about in these first passages of scripture have to do with what he knows. What you know about God is what's going to get you through challenging times. He says, the sacrifice of joy I will sing, yea, I will sing praises unto God, or unto the Lord. Verse 7, hear, O Lord, when I cry, let's drop down to verse number 8. When thou sayest, seek ye my face, my heart save unto thee, thy face, Lord, will I seek. Verse 9. Hide not thy face far from me, put not thy servant away in anger. He says, thou hast been my help. Leave me not, uh, neither forsake me, O God of my salvation. Verse 10. I'm going through this because we're going somewhere. Verse 10. He says, when my father and my mother forsake me. He says, then the Lord will take me up when the folks that are the closest to me forsake me. God still got me, he says. He says, verse 11, teach me thy ways, O Lord, and lead me in the plain path because of mine enemies. Teach me how to operate in life, God, and lead me in your illuminated path so that I can stay away from things that will hurt me, my enemies. Deliver me not over unto the will of my enemies, for false witnesses have risen up against me, and such as breathe out cruelty. Verse 13, this is where we're going to get to this morning. He says, I had fainted unless I had believed to see, notice the term, the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. He said, all of these things are connected to the knowledge that I have of God. He said, I would have fainted. The word there, faint, means I would have passed out. I would have collapsed. Unless I had believed, I would see the goodness of the Lord. Now, if we just stop there and put a period, that would be how some of the older saints used to look at it. I would have collapsed if I hadn't believed to see the goodness of the Lord. Even if it's in the hereafter and by and by. <laughs> by and by, Lord, when the morning comes, oh, all the same. That's not what David said. He says, I would have fainted 
I would have collapsed unless I had noticed the term believe, which means it's an indication of faith. To see, to perceive, to have this in display in my life, the goodness of the Lord, but he says, in the land of the living. I'm not talking about the hereafter. I would have caved, I would have fell apart if I did not believe that I would see the goodness of the Lord while I am yet walking on this earth. He says, watch this out of the Amplified, I would have despaired had I not believed to see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living, despair. The Bible says hope deferred makes the heart sick. When you no longer believe that you're going to see the goodness of God while you're in the land of the living, then your heart is sick. You think this is it for me. It ain't never going to get better than this. David says certain things I've learned in my life is that I have gone through all kind of obstacles. God is my light. He is my salvation. He's the one that enables me to overcome issues of life. And I still believe. I would have caved, I would have given up, I would have passed out like everybody else, but I still held on to my faith that I would see the goodness of the Lord, not after in the by and by, but in the land of the living. How did you do so, David? Verse number 14. He says, wait on the Lord. Be of good courage and notice this. He shall strengthen thy heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. My waiting on the Lord allows God to strengthen my heart. My waiting in his presence allows him to strengthen my resolve, if you will. Now, unless to see the goodness of the Lord, the word goodness there means the beauty. It means gladness. It means welfare. It means, it means uh, gladness. It, it, it means literally uh, if you look at it from a thesaurus, the word goodness means virtue. It means uh, morality. It means integrity. It means righteousness. It means uh, honesty, rectitude, kindness. It means decency, the excellence. It means it, 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 all of these things are encompassed in this word goodness. I believe that I'm going to see the goodness of God, not in the after, here, by and by, but today. I'm believing that I'm going to see the goodness of God. Then flip over, if you will, Psalms 37. Psalms 37, verse 23. I know I'm on it, because I'll tell you what. Oh, distractions are the truth. <laughs> Psalms 23. Now look at this. This is still David talking. He says, the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. And he delighteth in his ways, though he fall... He shall never, or he shall be utterly, he shall not, I'm sorry, be utterly cast down for the Lord upholds him with his hand. Verse 25. This is David as an older man. He says, I have been young and now I am old. He says, but one thing I know, yet I have never seen the righteous forsaken nor his seed begging bread. He says, at this reflective part, of his life in this particular Psalms. In, in 27, he says, the Lord is my light and he's my salvation. In this one, he says, I've been a young man and I've been an old man. And he says, one thing I can say, I've never seen, notice the term, the righteous forsaken. Now, a lot of people look at that, I've never seen, hallelujah, the, the righteous forsaken, even they see begging bread and they skip over, he said the righteous, which means I have seen people that aren't righteous forsaken. I have seen people that ain't living right forsaken. 
and their seed begging bread. But he says, I've never, he says the ones that have their steps ordered by the Lord. That's the reason why I read all this in context. The ones that have their steps ordered by the Lord and delighteth in his ways. The one that when they fall, the Lord still upholds them. He says, that righteous one, I've never seen them forsaken. I've never seen that particular righteous one. That one, their seed begging bread. Those people are the ones there, I say, that see the goodness of the Lord. The goodness of the Lord is what we have to believe God for because just like David, see David, one of the things I love about his story, David never forgets where God found him. David never forgets that he was on the backside away, obviously a little bit, away, didn't have the relationship with his father that maybe his other brothers had because for some reason or another, when, when the prophet uh, when the prophet Samuel comes to Jesse's house and he says, assemble all of your sons, David wasn't called to the meeting. David wasn't a consideration. Why is it? Now, I have different ways of looking at that because the Bible defines him as a ruddy, a handsome man, but a ruddy man. And if you look at that word ruddy and look at it from one standpoint, it, yeah, these people look, that must mean he was a little small man. No, that's not what ruddy means. The word ruddy comes from a word that means reddish. I dare say that maybe, maybe, just throwing this out there, David didn't look like his other sons. He had a little reddish complexion about him. Because everybody in the Bible wasn't white. <laughs> maybe he had a reddish complexion. He was a little bit different from his other sons. And that particular son, he was out in the backside somewhere attending the sheep. He wasn't called to the meeting. God called him from nowhere and propelled him to the palace. But it wasn't overnight. It was through a process. Maybe that's why he says the steps of a good man are ordered of the Lord. Because God said, I'm going to anoint you to be the king, but you're still going to have to go to the process before you move into your reign. And what God will often do in our lives, he'll anoint you for where he's sending you. But he said, that don't mean that you get to overstep the ordered steps that I have to develop you. So that when the crown comes, you can stand for 40 years and not 40 minutes. David was God's chosen anointed vessel. And he says, I've been young. I've been a man out in the backside. Now I've been old. And one thing I know, I've never seen God forsake the righteous. Psalms 34, flip back. It's 34 and verse number eight. It says, O taste and see that the Lord, notice the term, doesn't have goodness. It says he is good. Blesses the man that trusteth in him. Well, what do we trust about him? That he is good. God doesn't have goodness. He doesn't have goodness with him. You, on the other hand, might be good from time to time, may not. That's not God's nature. He is good. Scripture defines him as a good father in Matthew chapter 7 and verse 11. Jesus defines himself as the good shepherd in John 10 and verse 11. And then the scriptures basically allude to the fact in Matthew 19 verses 16 through 17. So I don't have to read all these because y'all read all this this month. Amen. Hallelujah. Amen. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you might 
I had to listen to it. It's all right, though. It's all right. The scripture defines him in Matthew 19, verse 7, uh, 16 through 17 as the good master. Good. Faith in God's goodness produces faith in God's favor. And that's the reason why we're talking about this this morning. The more I begin to understand that he is good. He is good. He don't have it. He is good. Everything about God is good. The more I begin to understand that, the more I walk in compliance and agreement with God who is good, the more I'll see good in my life. To see good in my life is to see his favor or his hand in and upon my life because of who he is. Now, for the sake of time, Psalms 100 and verse 5 says, for the Lord is good. Psalms 107 and verse 1 says, uh, it alludes to, oh, give thanks unto the Lord, for he is good. Psalms 135 verse 3 says, for the Lord is good. Psalms 136 and verse 1 through 3 begins and he says, oh, give thanks unto the Lord again, for he is good. First Chronicles 16 and verse 34 says, for he is good. Now the Bible says out of the mouth of two or three witnesses, let every word be established. God does not have goodness. He is good. He doesn't possess it. That's who he is. Now turn back over, if you will, to Genesis chapter number one. Genesis chapter number one. And verse 31. Now notice this. This is after God had created everything. And he's referring to it on the sixth day. God spoke the world into existence. And for the sake of time, we're not going to look at every one of these scriptures. But one of the things I think that sometimes we gloss over. God, as he says, light be. Let there be light. Let there be this. Let there be firmament. After everything he says, he says, that's good. <laughs> when God, when he hung that under the sky, uh, when the sun in the sky, he looks back at his creation. He says, that's good right there. When he, when he creates this and that and everything, he says, that's good. Why? Because everything that we see is an expression of who he is, which is good. He says in verse 31, and God saw everything that he had made, and behold, he says, watch this, it was good. It was, I'm sorry, the King James says very good. And the evening and the morning were the sixth day. Everything in life that is genuinely good originated from God. Everything in life, and I want to put a caveat, that's genuinely good. Because a lot of people operate in superficial good. They look good, but they ain't, they ain't good. Everything in life that's genuinely good originated from God. You can see that in James chapter 1 and verse 17. Everything that's genuine uh, genuinely good life comes from God. Everything God created is, uh, everything God created was created in and for good. Now, we got an issue then. We got a problem because everything in life ain't good. And the issue that a lot of people have is they're misconstruing what came from God and what did not. I've already alluded to this, and for the sake of time, I, I will just kind of rush through this to some degree. Everything that's genuinely good in life came from God. It originates from God. But now we got the problem with evil and we have the problem with things that are not good. And I submit to you, it comes from the original sin, which is the sin of corrupting the good or the force of good. The devil doesn't have the ability to create anything. 
But what he does have the ability to do is create what God has made, which is good. And we see that in Genesis chapter number three, that God created everything the order. And so since, God, since the devil can't take God on, he said, let me go and talk to this man. Let me talk to this woman and try to corrupt the system so that they can introduce the evil into their own lives. The word corrupt means to make something or someone something become dishonest or immoral. Now, turn over to John chapter 10 and verse 10 for the sake of time. John chapter 10 and verse 10. The devil can't create anything, but what he can do is corrupt. And one of the methods he used to corrupt is the method of deception. This is the reason why, yeah, God's design, his intent was for the man and the woman to get together, to be married, to have children. So if I can't, if I can't offset that, what I can do is corrupt it. So that this man wants 20 women instead of just the one. And then we can enter a corruption so that it now goes to the seed. So down the seed thing, amen, ain't worth nothing either. And they ain't worth nothing. Said they ain't worth nothing. I might as well do what I want to do. One of, at Genesis chapter 3 talks about essentially creating a world in their own image and their own reality. That was the temptation that Adam and Eve fell for. The devil can't create something. Well, what he can do is corrupt it. John chapter 10 and verse 10 says, The thief comes not but to steal and to kill and destroy. To kill, to steal, and destroy. I said in the past, I was in prayer one night. I think when I, I take that back one day. Back in 2017, the Lord said to me, when he says, the thief come not but the still, he said, that means from your life, your joy, your peace, your emotional stability. He comes to try to steal to get you off of that rock. Stealing doesn't necessarily, he said, doesn't necessarily mean that you die. It means that it, it can mean a hampering of your ability to achieve the ability to manifest his original intent in and for your life. He said, that's what it means to steal. He says to kill. The Spirit of God said to me back in 2017, that means taking, it doesn't necessarily mean taking you completely out. It does, or it can also, that doesn't mean that he can't, but it, what it means, though, is killing your heart or your soul's motivation. If he can't kill your hope, he renders, if he can, rather, if he kills your hope, he can render you immobile, which will render your life irrelevant. Stealing to kill it. I'm going to kill their motivation. I'm going to create so many obstacles that they don't believe that in God's goodness anymore. And they lose hope. As they begin to lose hope, they begin to leave faith. As they leave faith, their life becomes immobile. As their life becomes immobile, their life then becomes irrelevant. What did you not manifest for God? You didn't do it because you lost hope years ago. He killed your motivation. He says to destroy, he told me in 2017, your life first. But it also means those, he, he's come to attack uh, your life first, but those that are connected to you. The word destroy means to end the existence of. By damaging or attacking, it means to ruin someone emotionally or spiritually. It means to defeat someone utterly. He says the enemy has come to steal your life. He's come to kill you and he's come to destroy you. But God says, I have come that you might. Now, it'd be one thing he said. He didn't say, I come that you will. He says that you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly. Let's not skip over the two mights. 
Why does he say that you might have life and you might have it more abundantly? Because in order for you to receive the abundant life that God has for you, you have to receive it by faith. And if you don't operate in faith, then you won't receive it. That's why he said might. Some of y'all ain't. Now, <clears throat> submitting what you submit to, therefore, is what is empowered within your life. Submitting to God, his goodness results in God's favor on your life. Submitting to the flesh results in corruption or decay. It's, uh, submitting to uh, the flesh results in corruption or decay. Yeah, you did it the way you wanted to. As opposed to doing it God's way. God says, okay, the goodness that you would have saw, you won't see because you submitted to your flesh. And that's exactly what the devil wanted you to do. Again, life is not about luck. It's about whether or not you are going to flow from the influence of God Almighty or you're going to flow based on your carnality or your flesh. What it wants to do. And then it's also about whether or not you survive, overcome the attacks of the enemy. And the reason why I spend so much time talking about carnality is because a lot of Christians really ain't being attacked by the devil. No, you ain't. You know, you know, the devil ain't attacking you on Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and oh, I just, I was out there fighting spiritual warfare. No, you weren't. You were fighting your flesh. Because what you were wrestling against was the wrestle against doing what God says as opposed to what your emotions and what your soul wants to. And God says, I got to renew your mind, which is renew your soul. So it becomes more and more in agreement with my will over that of the world system. Watch this. Proverbs 13 and verse 15. Now notice this. It says, good understanding give a favor. But notice the term, the way is hard. The way of the transgressor. The word transgressor is the one that breaks law, moral and spiritual. The way of the transgressor is hard. When you break, see, this is something that we, we, cause we I don't like to talk religious. I know we at church. I don't. I don't. I like to talk religious. You know, that's part of the reason why people find out I'm a pastor. I'm like, yeah, man, but I'm still a Christian first. You know, you know, I, I have my coworkers say, yeah, I got to call you pastor. I'm like, am I your pastor? <laughs> you call me and I'm good. I know who I am. The way of the transgressor is hard. The more you begin to know about God, you begin to understand, like David, God's way is life. God's way is salvation. And the reason why I keep the laws of God is because it's not hard. And it is good for me. And because I begin to understand that in my own life, I find favor. But the one that consistently breaks the law, it is hard on them. It's hard on your flesh. You look bad. You things don't work right. It's rough on you to break God's law. And the more we begin to present this to the world, that God really does know what he's doing. The prescriptions that he has in the scriptures are really for your good. The more people begin to say, man, look, God's way, there must be something to it. But unfortunately, what we present to people is the religion about God and not who he is. Understanding God's goodness. And watch this. Let's finish up here. If I'm not seeing God's goodness or his goodness, and that's who he is, I need to ask myself certain things. If I'm not seeing his goodness, I should ask myself certain things. Number one thing we should be asking, are you missing it? Are you missing it? Overlooking God's subtle goodness, looking 
for only the spectacular thing. Am I, am I missing it? I hear about how God has blessed this church and they just overflowing. One of the things, I'll say this because this is in my spirit. One of the things God keeps challenging me on is that the problem with the church is that we are starting to use the metrics of the world. We start saying, well, just like just like if I was at a Jay-Z concert or if I was at a comedy concert, did you feel the house? Because that's the metric of success. And God says, that's not how I judge success. It's not based on how many people come. It's based on whether or not that church is fulfilling the assignment. Change the metrics, then you'll change how you see success. Am I missing his goodness? Looking for something big, something spectacular. Old folks used to say, you know, he woke me up this morning and started me on my way. <laughs> How many things are going right in your life? Everything that you can trace in your life that's good came because of God. Y'all, you might not have a car that you want, but you're driving. You might not be living in the mansion that you want, but bless God, you got a roof. You might not have all the clothes you want, but you don't have a hole in the ones you got on now. Every good thing. Sometimes we overlook those small, subtle areas of God's goodness because we're looking for this big, spectacular thing. Mercy covers your past, but grace covers your future. I'll go into that a little bit later. Number two, if I'm not seeing the goodness of God, I should ask myself, number one, am I missing it? Because I'm looking for something spectacular. Number two, are you an obedient or sanctified to God's plans? Am I, are you being obedient? Are you obedient and sanctified to God's plan? Is it you or is it him? Am I doing what he told me to do? David says, I would have passed out if I didn't believe I was going to see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. One of the reasons why he could say so with confidence is because he was an obedient and sanctified servant. Number three, I got to ask, and I kind of alluded back to this several times. Have I employed a harvest of good or corruption through my submission? Have I, I, me, employed a harvest of good or corruption through my submission? What you are submitted to, that's what you're going to get a harvest from. If it's God, God is going to give you a harvest. But if you're submitted to the ways and the methodology of the devil, then stop looking for God to bless you. And even if you do get, quote unquote, worldly blessed, in other words, you have an empowerment, it always comes with something. God's blessing does it. It comes with peace. It comes with joy. It comes with goodness. But when the devil blesses, you can get all kind of money and still be miserable. Nothing worse than me. Men might, you looking for, for the supermodel and you get her and she don't really want you. She just wants your money. She don't love you. Life is not luck. Favor is not luck. Life is spiritual and natural law. Life is spiritual and natural law, i.e. seed, time, and harvest. Seed, time, and harvest. It is not luck. Favor is not luck. If you're walking in the favor of God, it's because you are submitted to the will of God. And you're submitted to the will of God means that you are obedient to his purpose. And God says, that person I can bless. That person, I'll show my favor in their life because that person is in agreement with who I am, which is good. 
the goodness of the Lord even causes man to repent. Believing, again, my assignment this morning is very simple. Go tell my people that I am good. I don't have goodness, I am good. I, I am good. Yeah, you might be struggling right now with something, but you gotta know God's good. And he's going to, he's my salvation, that's personified. I will have victory in this area. He's my deliverance. I'm going to be delivered from this area. I got to be like David. I might have passed out, but my God is good. I'm submitted to him and I'm going to see good in my life because I believe what he said. That's why I can walk in the favor of God because I know regardless of when it don't look like I'm favored, I'm submitted to the God who is good and I'll see good in my life. Let's pray. Father, in the authority of the name of Jesus, Lord, we bless you and we praise you for this opportunity to have gotten into your word on this morning. We thank you, Lord, that you are good. <laughs> we thank you, Lord, that you are good. You don't have goodness. You are good. Everything about you is good. So we receive you as, number one, our good father. We thank you, God, that you are a good father in our lives. We thank you, Lord, that you are a good Lord in our life. You are our master. We thank you, Lord, there I say, you are the good shepherd that leads and guides us and that protects us. And, that, and you're the good shepherd that we can rest with confidence that you're well able to take care of us. We rest this morning, sir, in your goodness. And so in the name of Jesus, we roll the cares of our heart on you, our good Father, our good Lord, and our good Shepherd. And Lord, in exchange for casting our cares on you, we believe that we receive your peace in every area of our life. Thank you, God, that you're more than able to take care of us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Second Corinthians chapter 9, it says, But this I say, which he which soweth sparingly shall also, he says, shall reap sparingly, uh, shall reap also sparingly. And he which soweth bountifully shall reap also bountifully. He says, every man, according as he has purpose in his heart, so let him give not grudgingly, nor war of necessity, for God loveth a cheerful giver. Verse 8, and God is able for the one that gives cheerful. The one that's submitted to what God's telling him to do. God is employed. He has the ability now because of what you did, because of your submission and your obedience, because of your sanctification and your obedience. God is able to make all grace. There is a continuity. There is a connection, if you will, between grace and favor. To make all grace abound towards you that ye always having all sufficiency in all things may abound. I believe that we're going to abound because I'm a cheerful, prompt to do it giver. He says, and may abound to all, uh, may abound to every good work. Every good work. Verse 10. Now he that ministers seed to the soul, both ministers bread for your food and multiplies your seed and increase the fruit of of your righteousness. God is the one that gave you the seed. The seed, will you respond as he's telling you to do so? And God says, I love someone whose heart is in their gift. 
I'm not just bucket plumping. I'm not giving because of necessity. I'm not giving out of result of being manipulated. I'm giving because my heart is in my gift because my heart is first that I put my trust in God. He is my salvation. He is my light of life. Three ways you can show into the training center. One way is by way of our cash app. Second way is by way of our website. And another way is by way of our P.O. box number. And of course, you can sow live in in the house. We thank God for each way that everyone continues to sow into this ministry. My, 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 my phone is going off. It's connected to the church because we have to do the, the bills and everything. And I thank God for those that have given by way of the cash. Yeah. Thank God by way of those that have given live and in person. Thank God by way of those that have given by way of uh, our um, website. Thank God we believe that we receive um, an abundant harvest because we operate according to the principle of seed, time, and harvest. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We praise you that we are cheerful, prompt to do it givers. And as such, Father, I declare the blessing of God over every seed, over every person that has been obedient to what you say that are being obedient to sow into this ministry as directed by the Spirit of God. We thank you, Lord, because we are tithers, because we are givers, you are able to make all grace abound to us. So I declare over every partner, every, every member, Lord, that your grace would abound in their life, that the windows of heaven would be open over their life, that you would rebuke the devourer for their sake. We thank you, God, that we place our trust in you, and we thank you that we walk in abundance because we are cheerful, prompt to do it, givers. And we declare by faith that every need, all budgets and bills of the training center are met over and above the needs of this ministry and we give you praise for it even now in Jesus name we pray amen amen well, amen just a reminder next week we will not be having service because we are going to go celebrate 40 years of ministry in Greenville Community Christian Church amen we want to witness that, what it means to walk by faith, not one year, but 40 years. That's why I love talking to pastor, because he said, don't, don't look at what we got now and believe it's always been like that. He said, there was a lot of years they stayed away by the crowds, praise God. Amen. So as they celebrate 40 years, I believe they're getting ready to go into another dimension. There are some things that are going to be loosed in their life because everybody don't get to 40 years. Everybody don't make 40 years. A lot of churches that started with him already dissolved. 40 years, scandal free. Not one time the pastor had to go out before the cameras and say, I'm pastor and I just want to say that, you know, I apologize for this indiscretion. <laughs> I apologize for misappropriation of funds. I now one time, 40 years. And so we thank God for his faithfulness and their family's faithfulness and the church's faithfulness to the assignment that God has on our life. And so that's why we won't have service here next week. We will be in Greenville celebrating with them. Amen. Greenville North. Yes, Greenville North. Amen. If you're in the Greenville, North Carolina area, come on out to Greenville Community Christian Church on next week as we, as the old folks say, have a high time in the Lord. <laughs> Amen.
Oh, <laughs> my